the Holy Spirit, uh, in some ways, I think, at times, just gets a kind of a bad rap today. Um, this is this is obviously unfortunate. Uh, the, there, there's confusion, there's ignorance that often abound when it comes to trying to understand and explain the third person of the triune God. Uh, some Christians almost seem embarrassed by him, kind of the, like he's kind of the red-headed stepchild of the Trinity or something like that. No offense to any red-headed stepchildren here. I don't really even know where that phrase came from, but um, but the, but we 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 talk much about and we're the Father and the Son, but the Spirit often kind of is neglected in really understanding who He is and what His role is. And um, there's there's theolog- there are theological divides over the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, which we call pneumatology. Uh, but just the doctrine, the under, theology of the Spirit. There's differences in understanding a relationship between the Spirit and the Father and the Son. Uh, so that Trinitarian theology, there's differences in understanding the gifts of the Spirit. There's differences in understanding the present activity of the Holy Spirit and how He's working today. And so uh, you have more charismatic uh, Theologians and folks who have this strong, we might say, overemphasis or at times misguided emphasis on the Holy Spirit, and then others, there's this underemphasis and 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 just kind of a lack of of really thought and attention to the Spirit's ministry today. Um, but I, I would just say this, and we've already talked about this, and again, as our study through the Upper Room Discourse, the Spirit is not a theological problem for us. He is a divine helper. And so this is meant, the the Spirit is is to to be tremendous comfort to our souls, not something that should cause us heartburn. And and so without, without Jesus, we could say, without Jesus and His person, His work, atonement for sin would not be made. But without the Spirit, His person, His work, atonement for sin wouldn't be applied. And, and so we have this incredible ministry that the Spirit has in our lives, and even presently today as believers. In the, in the upper room, Jesus keeps coming back to the person, the work of the Holy Spirit, as I've already said that. But he's, he, and He's doing so not just to kind of entertain their curiosities and kind of tickle their imaginations. He's not preparing them for a systematic theology exam uh, on the subject of pneumatology. That's not His point. He's, he's comforting them. Uh, again, that's the context here. Their, their hearts are troubled, and He's speaking to comfort the disciples. And we'll see that very clearly in passage tonight. And, and so... The eleven remaining disciples, they're struggling. They're struggling. Their souls are in turmoil. All they see is darkness as Jesus talks about His death and His departure. And, and one of them would betray Jesus. And one of them would, de- and Peter would deny Jesus. And then, and then he, Jesus talked about it, this intense persecution that's coming uh, for them. And so Jesus reads this growing panic that's setting in them. And, and and again, we put ourselves in their shoes. We wouldn't be any different. Uh, so we we can see ourselves in them as their again their hearts are in this turmoil, and we would be the same. And so critical to their comfort is their understanding of the helper that Jesus will send to them. That's that's the connection here with how the Spirit fits in. Jesus labors to explain in detail how the Spirit will minister to them and through them. 
And so let's look. Let's let's read verses. Verses. Let's start in verse four of chapter sixteen, and we'll read down through verse fifteen. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, when the hour of those things comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And when the persecution, and particularly what he's talking about here, I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Alright, so backing up to verse 4 here, verses 4 to 6, you, you, you see, um, again, he says, I've said these things to you. He's, 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 he's done this, he said this several times in different ways. Just saying, I'm telling you these things ahead of time. So when they'll come, you'll, you'll, you'll believe and you'll, you'll understand these things. And, and he's careful, he doesn't overwhelm them. There's, you see the tender mercy of Christ, not to overwhelm them unnecessarily with too much at this time. and Too much too soon. And then he goes to verse 5, But now I am going to him who sent me, and yet none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. That's interesting, isn't it? That, that, that he tells them again that he's going to the one who sent them. But then he questions the disciples about their failure to cross-examine him about his imminent departure. And so, so you, you didn't ask me. But what's interesting is that the disciples had asked about, uh, questioned Jesus about what lay ahead for him on a couple of occasions in John thirteen thirty six and John fourteen five. Um, but what's clear in those other contexts is it, it's that the, the questions that they're asking Jesus, they're, they're, it's, it's not from a real desire to understand what the coming days mean for him. They're really asking um, and, and only concerned for what this will mean for them, how they'll personally be effective. They're preoccupied with their own personal loss of Jesus' physical, uh, human, immediate presence. And that's the context of those questions that they do ask about Jesus and related to his departure. So if they could have, if they could have understand why he was going and where he was going and to whom he was going, they would have rejoiced. But instead, Jesus says, you're sorrowful. Um, you're distraught. You're, you're, you're in turmoil. Now next Sunday, next, uh, on, on Easter Sunday, we'll, we'll see Jesus predict that their sorrow will be turned and transformed into great joy. Uh, after his resurrection, and that's what we'll be looking at next Sunday. But, 
But uh, again, so, so verse 7 goes on, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So, let me just ask, be, taking what, you, what we read a moment ago, what we've, you know from our previous studies in the Upper Room Discourse, and just let you know about the Spirit, what, in what way... Is it to their advantage, to their profit, to their benefit that Jesus goes? And what, what, how would that be true? It's not a trick question. I'm just, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. God incarnate, dwelling in bodily form. He can be in one place at one time. And, and so it, you can obviously see what, if the Spirit comes, who can, can 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 be and dwell within multiple people in all kinds of places and strengthen believers in any place at any time and in in any person you can see the advantage that that would have there's not that physical limitation of 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 geography um, that that uh, Christ has certainly what other advantage could you think of Brenda Absolutely. Okay. Yes, that's right. They're going to, their, their faith is going to be strengthened as they see all these things that have been prophesied and that Christ has foretold, accomplished. And so that's going to be strengthening to their faith. And beyond that even, it's just those events themselves and what they are accomplishing. That it's, if it's to their advantage because atonement is going to be made through Jesus' departure, His death, His resurrection, His ascension. And so he's saying, this is, this is to your profit. Uh, without, um, so, so Jesus is, in a sense, pressing the necessity of the cross. The joy of Pentecost is not going to come until there's the agony of Calvary. And so he's saying, it's, it's better. It's better that I go. It's to your advantage uh, that, I, that, I, that I depart. And again, by departing, it's not just that I disappear but it's again, it's through the cross, it's the death, and it's the, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension. It was absolutely necessary for atonement to be made, for them to know deliverance and salvation of their sins. Yes, Ed. That's one other thing, is each of the individual believers will be enabled supernaturally by the indwelling. Absolutely. Yes, there's going to... That's right. And it's not that the Spirit hasn't been at work, but it was in this specialized way that would be equipped and empowered for a role. But now there's going to be this dwelling of the Spirit and this enabling that's going, the gifting and all that comes to the, as we see the full ministry of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament and the epistles really come to light. See, that's what's awaiting and Jesus knows it. And, and so he says, this is better. It's just to your, to your advantage. Uh, and, and, oh, yeah. 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 That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And we're going to, we're going to see that in really clear form uh, here. Yes, Pastor Dow. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh huh. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's right. He's not just despairing. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and he's going to prepare a place. And we saw this in John 14. And and he's not going to be inactive. The Spirit Jesus is Jesus is going to the Father, and he's going to be interceding on our behalf. There are so many things that are happening even now in a place, not in uh, not in nowhere. That's good. So we. So now what we're going to see in, in the title of the message is the, is the job description of the Spirit or of the Advocate, the Helper. And, and so you, you understand job descriptions. This is saying what your, what your duties are, what your responsibilities are, what the expectations are, qualifications, all of those things. And so here we're not getting the full job description of the Holy Spirit, but we're giving, getting some real key components and some kind of sweeping uh, strokes of what the Spirit does in a couple Ways again, there are other ministries of the Spirit that are not uh, are not addressed here, but we get to see some real key components of this, and and in particular, we're going to see the the work of the Spirit towards the world first, and we're going to see the work of the Spirit through the apostles. So the work of the Spirit towards the world, work of the Spirit through the apostles. Those are the main things that we're going to be looking at tonight. So the work of the Spirit toward the world. First of all, the first ministry again is that. It's that work of the Spirit toward the world, but oftentimes through the church. And we'll see that this ministry, it's not generally, sometimes it's the direct ministry of the Spirit, and I won't deny that, and so it's not necessarily specified here, but oftentimes I think this is done through, through God's people, through Christians, and through the witness of the church. Now this is, it's interesting because this is really, this is the only passage that I could think of, and in study there wasn't really other uh, any others that alluded, maybe some veiled references, but but this is really the most explicit passage that talks about the ministry of the Spirit to the world. Um, there are all kinds of ministries in, uh, of the Spirit towards believers and in the church, and you see those throughout the New Testament. Um, but this is the only one, or nearly the only one, where it's just his, his role is described in, with regards to the world, to the world in its unbelief. And and so the Spirit's ministry can be summarized up in one word there in verse 8, and it's conviction. It's verse 8, and when He comes, He will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. So it's conviction, that's His work towards the world. What does it mean to convict? You can, you can I think probably your mind is going to you, you have a scene that's unfolding before you, and it's probably that of a courtroom. So when we think of conviction and um, con, con, convicted, you're guilty. It's a legal courtroom term. And it's used in other contexts too, but it's most, most basically has, again, is a legal word. And it fits well with the context. Remember, the Spirit is our, is our advocate, is our counselor. We talked about this a few weeks ago. That's a, that's a good word. We're talking about legal counsel legal counselor remember it's a friend who who is your advocate in the uh, before the court and and so this is the spirit it's again it's that same language i in fact i was thinking i don't see the bells tonight um but i i'm pretty sure like in 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 bosnian language i remember driving through sarajevo and and seeing that advocate that's the bosnian word for lawyer and i think another language is i think french is very similar as well and so it's often times uh, 
uh, kind of a, a version of that is used uh, to, to talk about a lawyer, to talk about an attorney. And here, again, this is, this is the role. This is the convicting work of the advocate. It involves presenting facts, exposing evidence, that kind of thing. It's convincing someone of the truth. That's what the advocate does in this convicting work. And so the Spirit works toward the unbelieving world to show them the truth of God for what it is. So he's, he has this ministry toward the world of convincing, of showing, of presenting facts and evidence. Now what help and comfort um, it is to know that the Spirit is ministering in this way uh, toward the world, isn't it? I mean, whenever you share the Gospel, you're not alone. There are two people testifying to the truth of Christ. Whenever you, whenever you open your mouth and proclaim Christ, you are testifying and the Spirit is testifying and is, is doing that convicting work. Um, your testimony, my testimony, may be very much subpar. And we may stumble and, and, and confuse, but the Spirit never stutters. And He never messes up. And so He, he does His work. And, and so... Again, this is great comfort. That's uh, just as we as we pray for our missionaries and thinking of the bells and the heirs here this morning, and they're going to this new place and 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 this this new city and trying to just get a foothold in that city for the gospel and and coming alongside the few believers that are in that region and and but 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 they can have this confidence that they as they go, the spirit will work is is convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment that they're not alone it's not all on them and what great comfort that is and but that's not just true for them that's true for us and in in the workplace or with our neighbors or as we're going out even this week is preach the gospel next sunday it's the spirit working and and he he is active and he's involved in that work jesus is He's giving the disciples here the theological equivalent to mission impossible. And, and so it's, it's the, you know, your mission should you choose to accept is to make disciples of all nations. All you got to do is to see that the whole world is saved um, and, and from their sin. And then the message blows up, of course. But uh, no, it's not, you know, mission impossible, sorry. Uh, but he's sending a bunch of uneducated fishermen out into a hostile world that is going to persecute them and hate them. And, he's, and, he's, and their, their role is to persuade people that Jesus is the Messiah and, and, uh, who, who was crucified and risen from the dead. Okay, mission impossible. People might reject that message. They might reject the messengers. They will, in fact, Jesus says. They will hate you. But the Spirit will convict unbelievers so that even if they disbelieve with their mouth, they, there's this internal conclusion that there's truth there. The Spirit works to convict the, the world. Now, conviction doesn't mean, that, doesn't mean conversion. It doesn't guarantee conversion by any means. But it's, it's preparatory to that. And so there, there are these three particular aspects of the Spirit's convicting ministry Sin, righteousness, and judgment. So first, Spirit works to convict about sin. Concerning sin, verse 9, because they, they do not believe in me. Um, you know, sin here, it's not just sin in, in, in general. It's not, not sins. You know, unbelievers will readily admit they're not perfect. Yeah, I make mistakes. 
Nobody's perfect. I, yeah, yeah, I, I, they might even say they commit sins. That way I have vices. They can even admit to crimes. And so that, that's, that's not it. But sin is personal. Sin is against God. Um, and, and, and that people do not readily admit. And, and they don't admit being guilty of sin against God. But the Spirit's work, this convicting work, is to show the world that they are guilty, unpardonable, doomed sinners without Jesus Christ. And so that, that we have this work of the Advocate who's, who's, who's working to convict the world of sin. Um, and, and, and here he, he, he specifies this, because they do not believe in me. Now there's, there's debate about whether unbelief, and we're not going to go down this trail long, but whether unbelief is the most serious expression of sin, or whether unbelief constitutes the very essence of sin. I think, I know that sounds kind of a pedantic uh, disagreement, but I, 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 think it, I think it would be the latter. That seems to be the testimony of Scripture. That, 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 that you have all sin stemming from that unbelief that we see in the garden and this refusal to trust God and His reveal, revealed will to just rest trustingly in what God has said. That's what you see in the garden. And so this, this refusal to believe in Jesus then, who is God in flesh, who is the truth, is, is the very essence of sin. I mean, Paul talks about this in Romans 1, that, that, that the, the demonstration of the depravity of man is they, ref, they suppress the truth of God. And they exchange the truth of God for a lie. And so the Spirit works then to show the unbeliever that he's a sinner because he willfully rejects the truth, the testimony given. He will not believe in Christ. And so this is... Because he will not believe, there's this convicting work of the Spirit. It's convict of sin. That you're a sinner. And again, it's just convicting people of their desperate condition. Again, does that guarantee conversion? No, it does not. But it, but it, it, it may, may very well con- contribute to it. And, and experiencing that kind of conviction of the Spirit is the grace of God. I think most of us in our testimony, we could probably testify to, to that work that, that God was doing and we didn't recognize it at the time, but when, when suddenly our eyes are open to our sinfulness, I'm a sinner. Not that I'm just an imperfect person, but I'm, I'm, I'm hopeless without Christ. I'm, I'm convicted of our sin. See our desperate condition. We're not saved by guilt over our sin. We're saved by grace through faith alone. But this is that, that work that the Spirit does to prepare us to believe in Christ. And so don't forget that as you talk to the unsaved, that the Spirit is working. He's convicting the world. God, Jesus sent the Spirit. And the Father sends the Spirit to, to convict the world of sin. And you're, you're not alone in, in, in that process. So, secondly, the, the Spirit works to convict the the, the world about righteousness. Righteousness. Verse 10. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Now when Christ was crucified, what does it look like to all the Jewish people? Does it look like Jesus is righteousness? No. It looks like He's a criminal. That's who's crucified on crosses. It's criminals. People that broke the law, that are bad people. 
And not just um, judicially, but theologically. Uh, you go back to Deuteronomy 21-23. Cursed is every man who hangs upon a tree. And the Jewish people understood this. And so here is Jesus cursed. Cursed by God. Um, uh, you know, this wicked, wicked person. Under God's curse. And so the people wrote Jesus off as a criminal. So that's, that's, that's how he's viewed. But what Jesus is saying here is his righteousness will be vindicated. This is the Spirit's work. The one who came as the righteous one sent from heaven. The one who fulfilled all righteousness on earth. The one who died in the place of unrighteous sinners uh, at Calvary. He, he will be vindicated as God's righteous servant through his resurrection and ascension. And so he says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. So the Spirit works, we could say it this way, to convict people of their faulty views of Jesus. And the Spirit shows, uh, Spirit works to show the world that they were wrong to reject Him. That He is, in fact, truly, objectively righteous. And so it's pointing to that objective righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so the Spirit, again, our helper, the advocate, works to convict the world righteousness. And third, about judgment. This is the third convicting ministry of the Spirit toward the world. Concerning judgment, verse 11, because the, the ruler of this world is judged. Now, uh, we, we don't want to misunderstand what he's saying here. He's not, this is not talking about judgment that lies off somewhere in the far distant future, the great white throne judgment of the last day. That's not the judgment Jesus has in mind here. The death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Christ, they were a judgment, a condemnation of Satan, of the ruler of this world, verse, as he says in verse 11. By Jesus' death, he defeated the devil who held the power of death, Hebrews 2.14 tells us. And, and, and yes, though, though defeated at the cross... The devil is still active. First Peter five eight tells us this. But but like a condemned criminal, his day of execution is coming. It's set. And again, Revelation twenty tells us this very clear. We sing, "A mighty fortress is our God, and lo, his doom is sure." Uh, there is there. It's done. It's he's a defeated enemy. And and I think that's what what Jesus has in mind here. He's he's looking at the cross as though it's already happened. He's looking forward to this and, and it, because it's so certain to happen. He does this other places. We've seen this in John where he's speaking in present or even future tense or, or past tense about something that is yet to, yet to come. And this is what I think he's doing here. And, and so if the ruler of the world is judged there at the cross, what will that mean um, for the world that he rules? Well, they likewise will be judged. If the master is judged, what will that mean for the servants? That's the kind of the thought that Jesus is saying. So the Spirit is going to work to bring that conviction and come and convict the world of the certainty of judgment that every single human being faces. That's the ministry of the Spirit. And so He promises to come. Jesus promises to send the Spirit to work toward the world in, in this convicting way. And, and, and the means that he uses most often to, to do this convicting work is, is the preaching of the gospel. It's, 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 it's the church. It's proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And as we proclaim the truth of Christ, the Spirit works in the minds of unbelievers to convince them of it, 
even if they don't ultimately put their trust in Christ and become born again. But the, the Spirit is our helper. He's, he's bearing witness to the truth as we bear witness uh, to the truth of the gospel. He's working toward the world. I mean, if you want, again, if you want proof of this particular ministry of the Holy Spirit, just look at your own life. (laughs) We're 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 born again, and it was the Spirit who was working to to again to bring conviction of these truths of of our faulty views of Christ, of our own of our sinfulness, and of the of the certainty of judgment. We all understood that. I'm not saying we understood all the theological implications of that, but there was some awareness of those truths. And so we, we believe, we turn to Christ in faith. Say, I need a Savior. And this is, again, we, we, we've benefited from this work. And, and, and if the Spirit was, was powerful to work towards us, we can be confident that He will work through us towards others as we, as we proclaim the Gospel. Um, and so this, again, it gives us hope as we proclaim Christ to others, even even in this coming week as we... Look toward Easter Sunday. So that's the Spirit's, that's part of the job description. It's the Spirit's work toward the world, summed up in that conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Secondly, we see the Spirit's work through the apostles. Through the apostles. And we see this in verses 12 to 15. Now these verses, they apply in a very particular way to the 11 remaining disciples in the upper room who are the you know the apostles they we we can't automatically apply them to ourselves in a one to one sort of way like this 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 has direct application to us they these verses that we're going to read we'll see are very relevant to us uh but it's not that one to one application there's something unique about the role of these men in this room and that'll be clear as we walk through this so the first thing that the spirit the first way the spirit works toward the apostles or through the apostles is that he guides them into the truth. He guides them into the truth. Verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Again, here we go again. Uh, he, he just says this over and over to, these, to, to, his, to his disciples. He, he's again dealing very, very gently, very graciously with them. He doesn't want to overburden them. Now, I say that, but I also don't want to give you the wrong impression that these that they're that the disciples are totally innocent. I would say it even shows more of the grace of Christ because the reason they're so troubled is because they're they're unbelieving. They're, I don't mean in a in a salvific salvific sense, but they're, they're they they still haven't got it. They're 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 blind. They're still holding on to this thought of 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 their own position and 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 place in the in this earthly kingdom and thoughts of preeminence in Jesus' earth, earthly kingdom and this is part of their their troubling and this is why they're so sorrowful um, and so but even that it's Jesus' long suffering he meets them where they're at and he doesn't overwhelm them he can't bear this now and so but he says there will be a time when you will know. All these things. Verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. You're, you haven't got it all, guys, yet. Um, I can't give you everything right now. You're, you're not ready to receive it. But the spirit will come and he will guide you into all the truth. The theologians call this passage the pre-authentication of the New Testament. Um, uh, this, this ministry of the spirit. So 
This is, this is not a passage telling us that, that the Spirit will come and guide us into all truth, or even the apostles into all truth. The, what, what should I eat for breakfast? Um, what kind of car should I buy? What classes should I take next fall? And so the Spirit will guide us into all truth and everything. Now that's to trivialize this, this passage. That's not what it's talking about here. He has a specific thing. This is the truth will guide them into all the truth. That little definite article is important here. It's the truth of Jesus and His work. That's what He has in mind. And so at, at, at the point Jesus says this, remember, not a single word of the New Testament has been written. Now, as John records it, yes, other parts of the New Testament are written, but when Jesus says this, not, nothing has been written in the New Testament. The, the entire process of that writing would take place under the stewardship of the apostles. And as a result... Um, today we know uh, we know what Jesus wanted all his disciples to know, not just those original ones in that upper room. And and so the New Testament is the product of the Holy Spirit, this ministry that he has through the apostles. He's acting on these human authors. And again, what an enormous blessing this has been. <laughs> Amen. We have we have this, and this is the Spirit's work. It's, he's guiding him. He's into all the truth. And this is how we have the Spirit-inspired, Spirit-breathed, God-breathed Scriptures. And so we understand right now, sitting in this upper room of this church, we understand far more than about what God was doing on that evening when Jesus was in that upper room with His disciples in Jerusalem than they did, even though they were there and we were not. We, get, we, get, we understand more. We are at an advantage than they over them, uh, because we have the Spirit who's, who's, who gave all truth to the apostles, and we have this recorded for us in the Scriptures. And so, one other reason this is to our advantage. Um, and so, uh, so, 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 um, again, it's the coming of the Spirit, though, that that would change uh, change this for these men and would guide them into all the truth truth of the New Testament that they would later record. And what this means for us is that there is no, one of the many things this means for us, there's no need for further revelation from God. He, he guided them into all the truth. There's nothing else that needs to be said. We're not waiting for a, a better word, another, uh, another book of the, of the Bible to be recorded or some, some further revelation. The Bible is God's sufficient revelation of Himself. And we can be confident in that. And it's a spirit who has given this. The Spirit is still active in illuminating His Word. Um, we, have, we, need, we need that help, and so we thank God. He's, it's not that he's, he's, he's hands off now, so He's given us the Word and we're on our own. No, He, he still he helps us, our minds. We're slow, and we, we, need, we need the aid of the Spirit. And through study of the Scriptures, the Spirit gives us that illuminating work and sheds light upon the Word so that we see things as it really is. We're not seeing things that aren't there. We're seeing what is there with greater clarity, and that's the work of the Spirit for us today. But all the truth was revealed through the apostles by the Holy Spirit, and we can give thanks to God for that. We're not left in the dark. And so another ministry, the other ministry that the Spirit works through the apostles is He declares he declares the future to them. End of verse 13. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And so... We see the interdependence of, 
of the persons of the Trinity. This is what beautiful language, and we see this throughout this upper room discourse, these Trinitarian relationships, and we, it's, just, it's just incredible. But here, again, this interdependence, the Father would tell the Spirit and, and what to teach the apostles about the Son. It's just great. And, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. So the Spirit would give them insight into the soon-to-come cross and resurrection of Jesus as well as His return. He's going to tell them about things to come. At the moment Jesus spoke, things were looking very dark for these men. He was about to be arrested and killed. His disciples would flee for their own lives. They would become hated by the world. But the Lord would unfold for them and through them, uh, by the Holy Spirit, the prospect of a glorious future, far greater than they could even imagine, even when times were better for them. Um, those things to come are part of the New Testament. We have these prophetic portions of the New Testament and passages like Matthew 24 and 25 and, and Mark 13 and Luke 21 and portions of Acts and and Second Thessalonians, and parts of Romans, and certainly the book of Revelation. And so it's true that the Spirit never hasn't... The, the, all the wonderful ministries of the Holy Spirit, and there are so many in ways He's working for us today, but one of the greatest gifts that we have from the Spirit is we have His Word. We have, we have the Scriptures, and this was His ministry through the apostles, to guide them into all truth, to tell them of the things to come. And what a gift this is. We're not left wondering. We're not left scratching in the dark trying to piece it together. Spirit has has revealed what the Father has said to us about Jesus Christ through the apostles. Um, Well, then we have these closing words in the section of verses 14 to 15. And and they could easily be overlooked. I I thought so at first. Uh, At first... To me, they didn't immediately tie into the context. It, the connection wasn't so clear. But really, as I began to really think through them and, and kind of meditate on this passage and, and really study it, I, I would say these words actually tie the whole section together. And so I have a different perspective on these last two verses, 14 and 15, than I, than I did when I started. But let me just read verse 14. He will glorify me, the Spirit will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so we see the, the substance of the, the revelation that is to be given through the Spirit to the apostles can be summed up in this Christ. He's proclaiming Christ. He's revealing Christ. He's the, Jesus is the central and unifying theme from, of Scripture. Um, and and, and he's, it's the promise of Christ that kind of ties the Old Testament together. It's the coming of Christ and its significance that, that is the unifying theme of the New Testament. And, and so Jesus says the Spirit will bring glory to Himself, to, to, to Christ. By taking what belongs to Him, by making it known to the apostles to the world by means of the Word. That's how He does it. And so he will show how the truth of God written in the Scriptures is inseparable from the truth of God embodied in Christ. And, and so, again, this is the Spirit's work. It points us to Jesus. And 
This is, this is his work. And so again, what comfort to these apostles. Their, their hearts are troubled. Jesus, you're going. Can't go with you. Going to be hated on your account for your name. As Jesus says, the Spirit's going to come. And he's going to reveal me. He's going to show me all the truth, all the things that are to come, but ultimately it's going to culminate in just knowing me, bringing glory to me. Well, these are, these are big issues. I realize we just, that's a quick flyover through these, these verses, but, but you, you, these, the implications of what Jesus is saying here are enormous. And it, and it really leaves the disciples just kind of reeling underneath the weight of it all. I mean, this is, this is huge. And again, just think in, in the, the humanly of, of what these men have walked through, coming into Jerusalem and the crowds and all, all these expectations and where are we going to sit in the kingdom and everything's looking up and then, boom, Jesus just throws them this curveball. Everything they expected, it's, it's different now. Jesus is going away. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be crucified. They'll deny him. They'll scatter. Uh, they'll be hated. He's leaving. They can't go with him. And and so oh they're just they're just reeling under the weight of this but but there's this comfort send the spirit and it's better it's to your advantage that I go because he's gonna come he's gonna help you he's gonna he's gonna has he has his ministry toward the world he has this ministry through you and 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 so they're they're but they're being told that their that their lives are being in a sense caught up into this this reality that's beyond their comprehension. That, that, that's something of infinite proportions. The Spirit of God dwelling in them and working through them and, and leading them and guiding them into all the truth and telling them of things to come. I mean, their minds are just they're exploding here. They don't get it yet. But, but just, they're just sitting under the weight of all this that Jesus is saying to them. And again, just think of what, what this is. How could, how could they be sure that these amazing words that Jesus was saying to them are actually true. How, how can they be certain of that? Well, Jesus, He goes on and He gives them the answer. He gives them a sign. He tells them that the impossible will happen. And when it does, it will confirm everything that He's spoken to them in that upper room. Again, they're, they're going to they're gonna go out of the upper room, they're going to go to Gethsemane, and they're going, Jesus will be arrested. They're going to scatter. Peter's going to deny him. Everything Jesus said is going to come to pass. They're going to, they're going to run away. They're going to go back to fishing. And they're going to think it's all, it's all done. It's over. But then, he will, what? He will raise. And it's going to confirm everything Jesus said. And it changes everything. Verse 16, the very next verse. A little while, and you'll see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. And he's of course referring to his imminent death and subsequent resurrection. And when they witnessed the fulfillment of that remarkable prediction, they, they could be sure that everything else he had told them would also be fulfilled. And so we'll get, we'll get down into one of the verses that we'll really focus on uh, this next Sunday, verse 22. So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. Let's pray. Father, uh, we, 
We thank you for the the ministry of your spirit toward the world, the the world and its unbelief. God, we have benefited from that ministry and that preparatory work of the spirit to bring conviction to us of sin and of our wrong views of Christ, leading us to show us that he is indeed the righteous one and, and of judgment that we face And we're thankful for the ministry of your spirit through the apostles to give us all the truth contained in scripture and of things to come. And we're thankful for the sign that you gave of your resurrection from the dead. And so God, as as we labor to to proclaim the the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to the lost this coming Sunday, God... It also has a tremendous ministry to our own hearts, God. It gives confirmation to everything that you've said is absolutely 100% true. And so we, we stake our lives upon that reality. We thank you that as we go out this week and as we invite, as we plead, and as we proclaim Christ, we, thank, we're, we are so thankful to know that it's the Spirit who, who has worked to give us the truth that we proclaim And it's the Spirit who's working and testifying with us to the truth of Jesus Christ as we we proclaim Him. Uh, God, just fill us with with confidence and courage, not in ourselves, not in our ability, not in our wordsmithing, but in, in You to change lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.